0: greatest thing about being a christian is you've got family everywhere yeah. you know there's other communities that claim to be united in this country but there's nothing like the church and this is an amazing church this one because let's be honest what other group in birmingham could bring this bunch of people together only the church can do this and you've got an amazing leader too i don't want this just to be the mutual appreciation society but mark and kathy are an incredible church leaders you might not realize it because you might not go to some of the churches i go to where with respect the leaders aren't of quite the same caliber godliness and care And so do us a favour, will you? Look after them. Pray for them. Church leadership is arguably the most over-criticised and underpaid job you can do. So why don't we instead change the culture of that? Make this year a year of thankfulness. So even today I encourage you, if there's anything you're grateful to any leader in this church for, find them afterwards and thank them. Changes the culture. When you're grateful for stuff you don't want more, you're grateful for what God's done. It would be great to be that here, wouldn't it? You know, I don't know about you, but I find it unintelligent, unhelpful, annoying, crass and irritating when people use sermons to advertise their ministry. But I'm just sensing off the back of that video you want to hear more about the EA. So what I thought we'd do is we'll just do two minutes on the EA and then we'll move on. Is that okay? The Evangelical Alliance was started in 1846 with two aims. To unite the church in her mission to the United Kingdom. And to give the church a clear and effective voice into every layer of society. 174 years on, those two aims are still the aims. And the unity of evangelicals in this country in the next decade is arguably more important than it's been in any time in living memory. The first thing people ask me is, what's an evangelical? That's quite easy. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Stop changing the Bible to accommodate your culture. And start changing your culture with the truth and the word of God. We believe, secondly, that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing in human history. Thirdly, we believe in the need for conversion. So many of my friends seem to think you come to faith by osmosis. You don't. You get on your knees and you meet your saviour. And finally, we believe in being active, making the world more like the kingdom. That's why evangelicals in this country led the abolition of the slave trade. Provided education before anyone else. And in the last 20 years or so have believed for and implemented Christians Against Poverty, food banks, street pastors, street angels. Because the evangelical church wants to stand together to change this nation. And the Evangelical Alliance is the oldest and largest unity organisation seeking to represent the 2 million evangelicals in this country. In some ways, whether you like it or not, if Boris Johnson wants to know what evangelical Christians believe, he'll come to us the media want to know they'll speak to us in society we are stronger than than an individual stream or denomination we need to stand together across the church and the EA is a membership organization we're made up of 4,000 churches like this one we're made up of 700 organizations and tens of thousands of individuals who say we're going to stand together to make Jesus known and right now the individual membership is the most important one The reason for that is there's a growing scepticism in our culture towards institutions. So when we are operating in some of the areas of influence in this nation, we are asked directly, not how many churches, how many people. And so we need more and more people to stand with us and say, we give you our voice, we stand with the other evangelicals in this nation, and we want to make Jesus known on our watch. People say, but what kind of difference does it make? So much of what we do, we can't talk about until it's done. But I'll give you an example of something we did. Two and a half years ago, the government said they wanted to offsted all youth work and Sunday schools. Do you remember that? What a strange thing to try and do. Public regulation of private religion. At what point have I moved to North Korea? And so we led the church's response to that in Parliament. And at least for now, it's been kicked out. Why? Because we were able to say we represent this many evangelicals and you can't mess around on our watch with our religious freedom. You know, even the ability to say that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life is up for grabs. So we need to stand together. That's why I unashamedly ask you this morning. I've got a little table at the back. It's fulfilling a lifetime dream. I'm originally from Peckham. I'd love to be Dale Boy. I've got a little stool. On Edison and his leaflets, would you consider becoming a personal member of the EA? The church already is, but would you consider becoming a member? It costs a cup of coffee a month, three pound a month. That's outrageous, isn't it? It's a form at the back of this. I'd love you to fill that in and say, do you know what? I want to stand together with my fellow evangelicals to make Jesus known. On the form, you can join as an individual or as a couple. If you're married, just tick the couple box. Tell your spouse later. It counts as two when we see Boris. Whether you sign up or not, there's a couple of resources you might like. This one, speak up. This is the antidote to the newspaper you might read. The newspaper you might read might say you can't wear a cross to work. That's not true. You can't wear a cross the size of your torso. That's a health and safety issue. The newspaper you read might say you can't pray at work. That's not true. You can't take advantage of power relationships in the workplace. We got sick of Christians getting their understanding of how they can share the gospel from the media, not from the law. So we got together with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship, did a 16-page little document. What are your freedoms to share the gospel in this country? We launched it in the House of Commons. I did one of the seven-minute talks. I just gave it some. I just preached the gospel. A then member of the cabinet said to me, I've not heard the gospel preached in the house for a long time. I said, invite me back I'll do it again. (laughs) He said, why? I said, says I can in here. Take one of those at the end. Secondly, I joined EA from Youth for Christ, went around the country getting people excited about reaching people with the gospel, but didn't give them anything. So we as the EA, because we're a collection of organisations and churches, we can put everything in one place. So we created a one-stop hub for evangelism, greatcommission.co.uk. It's a website that ironically I've got leaflets about. And there's four aims on this site. One is every Monday morning at nine in the morning, we release a video of someone who's come to faith in the UK. You want to change culture, tell a different story. God is on the move in this nation. Secondly, it's the only multi-authored blog on evangelism with any traction in the UK. Everything from how to reach your friends to how to have enough hobbies so you have non-Christian mates. All kinds of other things. Then there's a prayer section. I am so pleased and I did not know that you're launching a prayer meeting. Evangelicals overestimate their activities and underestimate their prayers. If you want to do one thing to reach Birmingham, not an hour and a half. Pray all night. Just just lose a night's sleep for a week and get on your knees and ask the Lord to move powerfully in Birmingham. Prayer is the greatest weapon we have. And then finally, there's an act section on which you can find all the resources we know of that are good for reaching people. You search for young people, there's 48 different things. You search for reaching Muslims, there's nine different things. We're trying to put everything in one place for you to be able to find everything for reaching people. It's the only website in the world where you search for small group material and you've got Alpha next to Christianity Explored. Why? Because we're the EA. We're broader than one. Finally, on that site, we're trying to fill the gaps. Where does the church do mission but we're not seeing enough fruit? Biggest area we're working on? Toddler groups. Did you know that over half the toddler groups in the UK happen in churches? But did you know that most of them don't talk about Jesus? We surveyed 300 church-based toddler groups. What kind of songs do you sing? It's the wheels on the bus, not the wise man building his house on the rock. We said, well, what kind of stories do you tell? It's bear hunts, not feeding of the 5,000. We asked why. They said, we don't want to offend people. I find that bizarre. If I go to Sports Direct and they talk to me about trainers, I'm not offended. If you come to church, you can talk about Jesus. It's cool. So we are helping to produce some evangelistic material for toddler groups with two aims. Get to the toddler. Secondly, get to the carer. The biblical literacy is roughly the same. It's just not patronising when taught through the two-year-old you brought along. Friends, we have got so many opportunities in this nation, let's not miss them. Finally, before I turn to the word, if you join EA today, I've got three presents for you. Why? I like Birmingham. Why else? Frankly, it might just swing the deal. And I will do anything. I've been the head of the EA for eight weeks. I will do anything in the next decade of my life to get greater unity, that the church could change this nation. But also to get a mandate from the church to represent you with the powers that be and unite you with other Christians. So if you sign up, I'll give you this. Game Changers. My wife, Anne, and I wrote this. It's about how does Moses' encounter at the burning bush give him the confidence to take on his whole cultural landscape for the sake of the Lord? How can we see our whole nation changed for Jesus? I'd love to give you that. Secondly, unity for a purpose. Seven sessions for group or individual study. How can we be united that the world might know hope? Hope is a name. His name is Jesus. And finally, if this doesn't do it for you, nothing will an EA key ring bear with me on the bottom is a detachable fake pound with the EA logo on when you need a trolley you will be so grateful you joined the EA when you need a locker you will be so grateful you joined all I ask is this you stick this in the trolley and you thank the Lord that his church is united in this nation you ask the Lord that his church's voice would be heard in the corridors of power and you pray over all that together we might make Jesus known Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I pray you would forgive me for overselling in your house. But Lord, you know that the motive is pure, even if the method is a little peckham. Lord, as we turn to your word now, I pray you'd speak to us. Lord, whether it's through me or in spite of me, I pray you'd open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you want to say. And I want to pray, Lord, over this church, that not just this year, that this new decade would be the greatest decade this church has ever had. Not for us, but for you. I pray, Lord Jesus, this great city of Birmingham would come back to you. I pray, Lord, that it would no longer be a multi-faith city, but a single-faith city. Because hope has a name, and it's your name, King Jesus. And I pray you would use us in whatever ways to be part of that. Amen. I was being interviewed recently by a secular journalist, and her first question to me was, why is the church dying? I looked at her a little surprised. I said, it's really not. She said, oh, "No, let's not be silly. Look at the stats. Church of England this, this here, this here, this here. Why is the church dying? I said, I'm really sorry. The church is not dying. I said, more people became Christians yesterday than any day since Jesus rose from the dead. She said, you what? I said, yeah, they did. And, and more people will become Christians today than they did yesterday. I said, the church is growing faster than at any point since Jesus was on the earth. He said, but that doesn't add up. What about all these stats? I said, you've got the wrong understanding of church. There is not going to be a British section in heaven. (laughs) I I said, right now, more people are coming to faith in Jesus than at any other time. So therefore, I'm on the winning team. And I said, I want it to come here in the UK, but I don't have a UK view of the world. I have a global one. And I think, church, we need to realise at the start of this year, we are not part of the sinking ship. We're, we're part of the hope for the world. Yeah. You know, and this nation's hard, isn't it? Boy, is the landscape hard. There's a growing chill factor towards Bible-believing Christianity. There's a hostility towards us. There's an acceptance that the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year can be post-truth. And then Collins have a go and they choose fake news. You know, my mum had one word growing up that sums up all four of those. Lying. You know, we're living in a time where no one believes in truth and yet we will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But God is moving powerfully in this nation. Just about all my friends who are evangelists will say they are seeing more people come to faith right now than at any time they can remember. God is moving powerfully. The hopelessness of the dialogue of the culture is being replaced by hope found in Jesus. And we have got to remember, friends, that we are the people who are hope. We are the people who bring joy. Mark said it earlier about setting the temperature. Cheesy though it is, every Christian is a thermostat, not a thermometer. The room you walk into, you set the temperature. You don't take the temperature. You influence the room. You're not influenced by the room. We don't baptise our culture and be like it. We're salt and light, called to be distinct. That's why holiness is so important to us going forward as well. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn it on? We're going to go to Acts 5. If it's any help, it's page 939 in my Bible. We're just going to read a few verses from here together. Acts 5 verse 12 says this. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. You know, there's three really simple things I have for you at the start of this year that I think are important to you. The first is this, really simple. Our God is all-powerful. There is nothing God cannot do. There is no one beyond his reach. There is no way he could not break through. You know, I'm a keen runner. I run every other day, six or seven miles each time. And I run in Adidas running shoes. I only run in those because there's an Adidas outlet near my house. And I run in Adidas running shoes. And their slogan is this. Impossible is nothing. Every time you put this body in those shoes, that proves to be false marketing. There is an awful lot that is beyond me when I go out and I run. But with God, there is literally nothing beyond him. And some of us need to extend our prophetic imagination about what God could do in our context. About what God could do in your workplace, your street, your home. Some of us have made God small enough that we're comfortable with him. But he's not comfortable, he's not tame, he could do anything. In the passage, the apostles get into trouble because God's doing so much. Now, if Birmingham City Council want to tell you off because God's doing so much, that's cool, isn't it? We don't want to get told off for being stupid. But if we're getting told off because people don't know what to do because God's moving so powerfully, wouldn't that be amazing? And the same God of the early church, the same God of the revivals going on around the world lives here and in us. So we have got to grow our expectation as to what he could do. What I find so encouraging too is Even when we do things badly, he can still use us. You know, 10 years ago was my worst ever sermon. It was in North Wales. North Wales is a long way from anywhere with respect. And it was on a Friday night. So I headed off from Halesow into North Wales. It took me about six hours. By the time I got there, I mean, I'd been promised there will be hundreds of young people at this youth event. I've got more fingers than there were young people at this youth event. There were nine teenagers. The churches had clubbed together to put the event on, so... They'd paid to hire in a 10 foot high stage. Because they'd paid for it, they insisted that I preach from it. I'm already six foot three. So there I am, 16 foot three in the air, towering over a bunch of young people, smaller in number than the disciples. And I've been brought in to preach the gospel. So I do it badly, I do it in a mood, but I did do it. At the end of the day, this is back in the day before bank transfers, you used to have the ministry of envelopes. They'd give you an envelope with a check-in towards your work. I always had a rule, never open the gift till you get home. Don't allow the size of the gift to influence how well you think it went. Talk to Jesus, decide how it went, open the gift when you got home. The Lord and I drove back from North Wales. We both decided it had been an abject failure. I got back in the early hours, opened the gift, out it fell. Five pound book token. You can't put that in a petrol tank, right? So I paid for the worst day ever. Then about a year ago, I was preaching in Stoke. This lad comes up to me. He's about 25 afterwards. And he says, do you remember that youth event in North Wales where there were no young people, huge stage, total disaster? I'm thinking, yeah, I remember it, fella. Do you want some? (laughs) He says, I became a Christian that night. I said, how? (laughs) And and he said, I'm now a youth worker reaching out to the local estate. Did did my first major outreach a few weeks ago. 32 lads gave their lives to Jesus. You only have to reach one Samaritan woman to reach their village. Friends, our God is all-powerful. What could he do in your situation? Where do you need to extend your imagination as to what's possible? Where do you need to find hope again? Where that prodigal in your life you've given up praying for because it's just been too long? Start again. This all-powerful God is moving. But secondly, Christianity can't be swept away. You can't get rid of Christianity. Even if you try, you can't. You know, all over the world, the church grows when it's put under pressure, doesn't it? People think, I'll put you under pain, I'll put you under pressure, I'll put you in prison, I'll get rid of you. It doesn't work. My advice to any government around the world, if they want Christianity to be ineffective, make it as normal as possible. Make it as socially acceptable as possible. Put it under no pressure at all, and it would just become laissez-faire. Put it under pressure, and it means business. That's why I'm not pleased that it's harder to be a Christian in this country than it has been. But I'm also not bemoaning it. Because when the church is put under pressure, the church rises up too. That's why the fastest growing church in the world, does anyone know where that is right now? China, no? Iran, yeah. Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. And boy, should we be praying for the Iranian church right now. Forget what you think about wars and everything else. Be praying for that church. It's the fastest growing church in the world. And we do not need an almighty distraction to stop the explosion of the church there. And (laughs) my wife does uh, various stuff with the Iranian church. She goes and trains uh, Iranian church leaders in turkey because they can come out into turkey for a bit then go back into iran and at the same time as this happens they hire turkish hotel swimming pools and they put on lessons because turkey's not iran but it's still not totally safe so they'll put on swimming lessons for local kids during the day just so no one catches on then they've worked out that between nightfall and morning they can baptize 350 iranians a night friends the church is exploding in places around the world Throughout history, people have thought you get rid of Christianity by hurting the Christians. From Emperor Nero dipping the early disciples in pitch and using them as human candles in his garden, through to the so-called Islamic state of today, people think we can wipe out Christianity. You can't get rid of it. We know the end of the story. We've got the end, friends. However many bad things happen between now and the end of time, however many wars, rumours of wars, famines, persecutions, incurable diseases... However many good things happen, revivals, renewals, cures for incurable diseases, however many World Cups England win, however much good or bad happens, the end remains the same. Jesus wins. And what I don't understand sometimes in my job, where I have to constantly be brave and go out on a bit of a limb for the church, is I don't understand why we're not a little bit more confident. Because we've got the end of the story. We know that whatever's thrown at us, Jesus wins. We know that whatever comes at us, it will be okay. In the passage, they think the way to deal with the apostles is just to lock them in a cell. If we lock them in a cell, we deal with the problem. You know who I feel sorry for in this moment? And it's not the disciples. It's the two prison guards. Because those disciples were a nightmare, weren't they? You put them in a cell, they've got two guards. Happy days, captive audience. You know, because your perspective alters so much. How you choose to see what's in front of you dictates how you're behaving in it. When David faces Goliath, he's got two choices. One, he's so big, he's going to kill me. Or the one I prefer, he's so big, there's not a chance I'm going to miss. We've got to choose to change some of our perspective, haven't we? And when it comes to Scripture, what I love about Scripture is how visual it is. Anyone who says the Bible's boring hasn't read it. You can say what you like about Scripture, but you can't call it boring. Because if you've read it, you realize it's not boring. And also, when we work particularly with younger generations, make it visual. For years we thought what it says is all that matters. What about what it looks like? Do you ever ask yourself, what does scripture look like? I often ask this, when Moses saw the sea split, what did it look like? How soggy was the ground? If there there was a big fish, did that split? I've always wondered. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, what did it look like? The young lad was starving and young lads eat anything but his lunch was so dreadful he gave it to Jesus. And then Jesus fed the field. What did that look like? When Lot's wife turns around and becomes a pillar of salt. Imagine that. Imagine being there. Why salt, not pepper? I've always asked that. (laughs) When Elijah and Elisha go up the mountain because Elijah's about to be taken and there's whirlwinds and fire and, and Elijah goes up to heaven and Elisha's just left with some skanky second-hand coat. What did it look like? Or my favourite one, when Lazarus is raised from the dead. I've been in Lazarus's tomb. There's 15 spaces for dead people. That's why Jesus has to say, Lazarus, come out. If he just said, come out, all 15 dead people have walked out at once. It's like a Scooby-Doo moment as every corpse comes to life. It's lucky Lazarus wasn't a common name. Can you imagine if there'd been three of them? Now, not you, sunshine, not you. It's that one I want. In this moment in the passage you've got one of these visual moments. The apostles are locked up, but during the night, an angel of the Lord comes along, walks past the guards, unlocks the door, lets them out. Here's the fun bit. Locks the door again. (laughs) Then says to the apostles, by the way, crack on, bit more preaching, off you go. Because you see, they may have been locked up for it, but, but you can't destroy Christianity. The odd Christian might get taken out, but you can't get rid of Christianity. It's here to stay. The all-powerful God will not allow Christianity to be wiped away. We must change our confidence. When Paul wrote to Rome, he looked like a fool. He wrote to the ultimate in imperial power and pride. And he said, I'm bound, I'm eager, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In his day, he might have looked like a fool, but 2,000 years on, the Colosseum is little more than ruins, and Jesus is alive. Our God is all-powerful. Christianity can't be swept away. And finally, at the start of this year, we are all compelled to share this message we're all compelled to share. All of us get scared about sharing the gospel. Let's not pretend that any of us don't get scared. That's lying. We all get scared. And we all have a moment that's too far. I I don't like preaching in parks. I quite often get asked to preach in a park, you know, particularly at Pentecost. All the churches come together in a park. I know what, Gav, you come and do it because no one else wants to. All right. And I was doing this in Bedford last year. And you know, There's a cafe over there. There's a football match over there. There's swings and slides. Everything looks so appealing other than preaching. And I felt in the last song, I felt God say to me, don't preach like a lion in a church and a mouse in a park. So I got up and I gave it some. And at the end, some people came to faith. That was brilliant. It was really exciting. And after we prayed for them, I realized there was this bloke stood up in the cafe. So I went over to him and said, what are you standing up for, mate? He said, you told me to. I said, what do you mean? He said, "Did you want to give your life to Jesus? Stand up, you said. So I stood up. I said, that's brilliant. I said, who bought you? He said, no one. I came for a coffee and a donut. And I looked at his plate. There was a half-eaten donut. Prayed for this guy. And welcomed him into the family. We opened our eyes. A pigeon was finishing off his donut. This fellow says to me, that seems like a fair exchange. Whether we want to or not, we're compelled to share. The Sanhedrins convened. The Sanhedrins, the Jewish council. Now, to put it in perspective, the Jewish council were proper wealthy, proper intelligent, and proper important and they would sit around they'd be really well dressed and they were absolute geniuses and they sent for the apostles now just to in perspective I'm from a family of geniuses my old man is an absolute genius and I'm one of four children the other three are geniuses I didn't get the brains I got the looks and, and growing up around geniuses you re- I realised something at least in my house real geniuses often have no common sense so so i grew up around these really clever people but they couldn't put a picture on the wall right that's how i imagine the sanhedrin really clever but not a lot of common sense they send for the apostles the messenger comes back the messenger says they're not there so the sanhedrin say well was the door open no was the door broken no is there any sign of breaking and entering no was the door locked yes where are they don't know And I love to think of this bunch of ludicrously clever individuals sat in a circle, their brains like a solar system trying to work it out, till someone looks out the window and goes, Surprise! They're out there! What are they doing? What you banged them up for? Because there's something about this gospel, when it gets in your guts, you can't help but share it. Whoever you are. And we have done some bad things in the church. One thing we've done that's bad, we have professionalised evangelism. Evangelism's not a job. It's what we're all supposed to do. People say to me, did you enjoy your Christmas break? Yes, but by that I mean I enjoyed not answering emails. I don't stop talking to people about Jesus because I'm not a professional evangelist. I'm just a Christian. Yeah. And we've done something else even worse. We've made it a personality type. And you know what? You will have the, the loud in your face people like me and I'm sure you know Mark Greenwood and J. John and others. You won't lose those people. But we need the whole church witnessing to the whole world. It's yeah. so like That picture on the screen, that's grains of sand under a microscope. Sand all looks the same from a distance, but really up close, it's all really different. It's like people. It's going to take all of us to reach everyone. We've all got to get serious working at this together. Because let me let you into a secret. I can be a bit much for some people. I can. I can. I love the tube. I love the tube in rush hour. I get on with my friend. We stand in the most packed bit, and we talk really loudly about Jesus. <laughs> and if anyone shows an interest, boom, divide and conquer. Most people aren't like that. My friend Pastor Agu runs the Redeemed Christian Church of God. He had me preaching at his prayer meeting. He invited me to preach at his prayer meeting. In my head that means 15 people in a cold room with bad coffee. It turns out it was at like the Excel Arena and there were 40,000 people. I was one of just a few white folks. And he invites me up to speak and he says, This is my friend Gavin, he says. He has the wrong personality for his nationality. He says he's more Nigerian than he is British. And I took it. But friends... It needs all of us to witness. You have friends none or no one else can get to. You have relationships. Your personality will engage with some no one else will reach. The church needs to start saying we have done something wrong. We've outsourced our witnessing to others and we need to all share. Because if this all powerful God is our God, if we are part of this church that can't be swept away, then we need to be part of growing it too. I I met a passion expert recently, because I'm concerned I'm not passionate enough. And I met this passion expert. She says to me, do you know how you can tell what someone's passionate about? I said, yeah, what they spend their money on. She said, no. She said, you literally couldn't have a worse answer than that. What you spend your money on is socially conditioned. She said, there's two ways you can tell what people are passionate about. Firstly, what they spend their time on. Time is the most precious thing you have. And secondly, what they talk about. She said, it's not possible to be in the presence of someone for half an hour and not hear out of their mouth what they're most passionate about. Yeah. So my challenge, friends, is, is it possible to spend half an hour with you And you not talk about Jesus. Because for some of us, we've got bored of this gospel message that the world needs to hear. We've got bored of this gospel message that the world's desperate for. We're living in a time when people are are, are perennially hopeless and yet we have hope. And we mustn't be a church on mute because you know what? The all-powerful God is with us. His church will not be swept away. And we are compelled to share. You know, one other thing we do at EA is we release videos of people sharing their faith in different ways to encourage people. One was of this lad in year nine at school, that means he's 14, a lad called Ben. And he's in year nine and he shares his faith at school. His grandma knew he was a Christian but didn't know quite how on fire he was. She goes to church one Sunday night and the church is all on sharing your faith. And they say, we're just going to play a video from the Evangelical Alliance about sharing your faith. It's her grandson. Her grandson's on this big screen talking about sharing his faith. She cries a river. Six chairs down from her is her friend Reg. Reg is 92. At the end of the video, Reg stands up, he says, when I grow up, I want to be like Ben. (laughs) You see, this is the great thing about church, God doesn't have grandchildren. We all learn from each other, right? And he stands up, he says, I've never shared my faith with anyone. Will you pray for me to share my faith? They gather around this 92-year-old, praying and share his faith. Three weeks later, his lifelong best friend, Tommy, is in church. Until three weeks before, Tommy didn't know that Reg was a Christian. Six months after that, Reg holds the towel as Tommy gets baptised. Friends, we've overcomplicated this. It's simply about the all-powerful God being with us. About the fact that Christianity won't be swept away. We've got the end of the story. We're all compelled to share. And we celebrate the big yes, the little yes, the healthy maybe. We celebrate the the, the difficulty and the joy. But if this church got serious about the gospel together in 2020, we could, Lord, would you give us Birmingham? Would you give us it for your glory? That is not beyond the all-powerful God. Let's go for it, shall we? Let's pray. We are time poor but passion rich so I can't preach like that and not give an opportunity if you do not know the Lord Jesus your personal Lord and Saviour you do not know what it is to be a follower of Jesus you've never surrendered your life to Jesus you've never chosen to follow him in a moment I'm going to give you an opportunity to be ludicrously brave and just stand to surrender your life to Jesus but equally at the start of this new year as I was driving here today I just felt there's some people where your face has gone dry your face has gone cold You've not doubted the reality of Jesus, but you've just, your prayer life's almost non-existent. Your Bible reading's gone out the window. And when I worked with young people, we called it recommitments. We don't always do that with adults. But I felt there were a few folks here who, it's not that you're not a Christian, you just need to recommit to Jesus at the start of this year to say, Lord, my faith is not how it should be. My Bible reading is nowhere. My prayer life's non-existent. I want that to come back. Or well, I'm doing stuff in my life I shouldn't be doing. Lord, help me. So I'm going to ask you just to be ludicrously brave you want to surrender your life to Jesus this morning for the first time or recommit at the start of this year to say Lord I'm not where I want to be I want to be in a different place with you I want to start again the start of this new decade if either of those are you no one's looking their eyes are shut but I wonder if you just stand so I can see who I was praying for if either of those are you just give it a moment Jesus we thank you so much each of our friends standing Lord whether it's a first time or a recommitment we thank you Lord that at the start of this new year decisions are being made that can really change our lives and Lord I want to pray for each of my friends that they would know that this time tomorrow this decision is as real as it is right now I want to pray Lord you protect them for the evil one you'd remain close to them and Lord they would know life in all its fullness going forward and I ask Lord that this would be a church where many, many, many people would come home to you. Whether for the first time there was a recommitment, people would surrender their lives to you in this place. And I ask, Lord, that it would always be for your glory, nothing else. Thank you. Uh, in a minute I'm going to do a different like if you've got a blue bag people would love to pray for you down here in the front but but also I just, uh, I just have a sense friends and if not on the first Sunday of a new year when but perhaps for some of us there's a moment to say do you know what Lord I want to do better in my witnessing as you simple every school report I had apart from PE said could do better And I wonder if for some of us it's not saying we're suddenly going to be Billy Graham but actually we want to do better. We want an anointing for witnessing. We want to do better in sharing our faith with those around us. We want to do better in our workplaces. For some of us we need to even let people know like like Reg did that we're Christians. But if we would love the Spirit of God to anoint you this year with a fresh anointing to do better in your witnessing that this all-powerful God would feel as close to you at work as he does in church. That the fact that, that the church can't be swept away would give you confidence to stand out in culture. And that we'd take moments to witness to others. If you would love at the start of this year, say, Do you know what, Lord, I just need more of that. Just ask you if you if you're able just to stand where you are, if that's you. folks are standing I just you can almost hear the whispers of the evil one saying to a few people yeah but you're not up to it you're not worth it look what you do look who you are what witness are you if you're not standing with your brothers and sisters because because the lies of the enemy are stopping you just just overcome that overcome that hear the truth of God you are worthy he wants to use you what you have in your hand is enough you're not a failure you're a glorious child of God Do here. So if you had a blue bag it would be great to come to the front. But I think what I'm gonna do here is actually I'm gonna hand back to your pastor, and I tell you why. This feels like a little commissioning moment for a few new evangelists in this place. Yeah. And that's not really my honour to do that. It's much better to be done by someone who'll be with you next week. Much better to be done by someone who can celebrate and the joys and the challenges of what this would mean. So I wonder, Pastor Mark, if you would come and pray a prayer over these folks. Yeah, let's thank Gavin, shall we?